0: In the AL, the Astros are inevitable. But is New York catching them, the eventual? The Yankees sure hope so. All that and more on this week's episode of Stone Cold Strohs. Hey, welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Stone Cold Strows. I am SportsMap Sports Director Brandon Strange. I'm joined, as always, every week, hopefully, every week by uh, SportsMap Senior Contributor Charlie Palolo and SportsMap.com Editor Josh Jordan. Gentlemen, welcome
1: in. Happy New Year, guys. I know we covered it last week, but my sort of unofficial deadline for accepting Happy New Year tidings is, is January 10th, so I figured we get one more in before the buzzer. Remember back when we used to actually write checks? And I'd give it the first 10 days, maybe two weeks, that if you wrote last year on the check, okay, I'll, I'll cut your break. But effective tomorrow, no more Happy New Year. I mean, we hope it's a Happy New Year, but no more Happy New Year! Oh, hope no more cutting checks. Yeah, <laughs> all of the above. Josh, what's going
2: on in your world, bud? Nothing much, man. I, I'm ready to talk some Strohs, uh with what the Texans are giving us. I'm glad I have the Astros to talk about, so... Yay, Astros! Let's talk about the <laughs> January Astros. Still better than playoff time Texans. It is. It is a good thing to uh, to have an Astros podcast and not a Texans. Although there is plenty
0: to talk about, I do digress, uh, gents. I want to hit on some topics that we discussed last week. The first of those is Carlos Correa. <clears throat> we hit on this last week. Uh, Andy Martino tweeted out last week. His sources say Mets are very frustrated with Carlos Correa. And uh, now considering walking away, we don't really know what any of this means. Andy Martino, who, hey, look, Andy Martino's not afraid of putting some unsubstantiated stuff out there, but his sources uh, are telling him that the Mets are frustrated. We don't even know what really the crux of this uh, disagreement is outside of the medicals. Guys, do you think this whole ordeal has really put uh, maybe Correa and Boris, have, have they really tanked? Carlos's value here?
1: Well, relative term, in terms of uh, a 10-plus year's contract, $300-plus million, all of it guaranteed, I think, that has safely been tanked. And all it takes is one nut job with a wild hair to say, okay, we'll do it. Atlanta Braves are loaded. Lost Dansby Swanson to the Cubs. A young guy named Vaughn Grissom, who flashed very well, playing second base. The plan right now would be him at shortstop. My Braves' ownership say, you know, let's go for it. I don't think so at 10 years, 300 million. So I think Correa and Boris, and no one wants to admit defeat or feel like they're being forced to accept uh, less than they feel they were in position to get and had agreed to get, right? It was what, 13 years, 350 with the Giants, then a tumble to 12 years, 312 and a half with the Mets. Can Correa get more annual value, but many fewer years, many fewer, yeah. Say five years, 175, could that be in play? Which would be the 35 million he made last season with the Twins. He could have opted in for a second year and then a third year at that rate. Uh, I would presume the Mets would be willing to go five, 175. So there's a pretty good gulf to negotiate from. Can they get to seven years, 225? Uh, But I think Carlos and uh, Scotty's feelings are hurt that, what do you mean we're not getting at least 10 years? And what do you mean we're not getting $300 million? When contracts, uh, a number of them were lavished out at those levels off season, and then go all the way back to Kyle Seager last offseason.
2: Yeah, I I think the leverage is kind of leaving the Correa camp. What other team is going to come in and throw crazy, crazy, you know, three hundred million dollar money at him? I just don't see it. I, I see Boris trying to leverage the Giants like, oh, we could go back there. But that, that doesn't look like that's happening. So. I think he's going to have to take less. I don't think there's any way around it. The the medical, if if the medicals are scaring off the Mets, who are just trying to win a World Series in the next two or three years, that's their big goal. With you know Verlander and Scherzer a little older, if they're not willing to roll the dice on this, I don't think anybody else will be either.
1: Yeah, if you're looking for teams at an interim level, where they might say, okay, if we can haggle it out and both sides are amenable to six years, two hundred and ten, the Red Sox, who are playing from behind in the American League East. They lost Bogarts. They kept Raphael Devers. They way overpaid. Well, at the time, six years, 140. They overpaid for Trevor Story, who played second base. Red Sox probably had an idea, well, we're probably not going to pay up to keep Bogarts. Move Story to short, where he's a declining player. The Red Sox certainly are swimming in cash. Financially, they could jump in late if we're just looking for possible landing spots. I'm still going to bet on the Mets and there'll be fences mended and I'll just be curious because in the end, it's Daddy Warbucks' money and Correa's generations of them are going to be taken care of. And Boris's reduced commission will still continue to uh, line his pockets. uh, But I will still bet that he's uh, the Mets opening day third baseman.
0: How is it that Carlos Correa is a case of betting on yourself and winning and also a cautionary tale of betting on yourself? We'll see how it shakes out. Uh, I just want to remind everybody, as we still have people strolling in here in the first few minutes, uh, we are live on YouTube every week, uh, live Mondays at 3 p.m. And if you want to catch us after the fact, we're on all of your preferred audio platforms. If you don't find us on your preferred audio platforms, Uh, You can search us by Stone Cold Strohs, but if you don't see us, let us know. We will do our best to get there, but we're on all the big ones right now. Speaking of our show, last week we also had a discussion about the Astros broadcast team and how they were also in limbo contractually. And right after, uh, I think within 24 hours of our show ending, we had movement on that. And the Astros have brought the entire broadcast team back. Josh, you had an interesting Kind of observation on this just because of the entire broadcast team, whether it was TV, radio, English, Spanish broadcast, all of these deals were made and expired at the same
2: time. That's kind of weird, right? I mean, I don't work in that industry per se where I've worked with an entire broadcast team that covers a team for a whole season, but it is odd to me. Like I think about Troy Aikman and Joe Buck. They got this new ESPN deal together to do Monday Night Football. That timed out at the same time. But, I, yeah, I thought it was interesting that you would have television, radio, English, Spanish, every single broadcast, every person involved, all on the same contract for the same amount of time. Maybe it works like that. I'm just not aware
1: of it. But I found that interesting. Well, Fox actually let Buck out a year early so he could uh, stay attached uh, to Aikman. Um, okay. I guess they call them broadcast teams, so at least English language language, Spanish language, probably makes sense to, to have them on the same timeline. Uh, more specifically, the play-by-play guy in the analyst, in the Astros case, Todd Callis and, and Jeff Blum, whereas uh, the uh, the sideline reporter role is not as integral to the broadcast, inning in, inning out. I mean, you look at the Rockets there on, what, three different ones in, in five years. And of course, uh, changed uh, Craig Ackerman's analyst when Matt Bullard went to the executive suite and Ryan Hollins came in. Uh, so, uh, I think last week with caution, I used the word inevitable that it would get worked out. So uh, good for all parties involved. I think we can surmise that they didn't get 10 or 12 year contracts either. <laughs> it is, it is strange. I think it's apropos
0: though, I guess with Jim Crane and kind of the way that we have seen him deal over the past few years with all of his employees is he's not afraid to make wholesale changes as we, Discussed last week when we were talking about this topic. So I think it's interesting that they are all on the same timeline. So, where if he feels like he needs to make a change, he can really start over. And as Charlie mentioned, since these are all based on kind of chemistry and working together, and we know a little bit of something with our radio backgrounds is that, you know, they do the spec runs with hosts and you know tryouts you know having hosts you know do uh spoof segments with one another trying to see what the chemistry looks like so i guess that makes sense you wouldn't want to uh i guess piecemeal that together but i think it does speak to the shrewdness of how jim crane operates but as charlie said good for all those parties and for all intents and purposes we enjoy the broadcast and we're happy to see them back in fact I think no more does that exemplified when we have to watch one of these Apple broadcasts or something like that, where we don't get to see Blum and TK and Julia. And it's uh, a rough showing from time to time, depending on who is in the booth. So, guys, I want to get right into our headline here uh, because we had a kind of tweet that went viral from one of these. I'll call them Yankees propaganda platforms, but Fireside Yankees tweeted this out and it went viral, so that's why I wanted to discuss. Uh, they tweeted the first four hitters in the Yankees lineup should all be healthy and firing on all cylinders this season. The latter part of that I think is questionable, but uh, the the crux of it is they ask: Is there a better top half of the lineup in baseball? And they're going by DJ Lemayu, Judge Rizzo, and Stanton. Uh, they say are are all going to wreak havoc uh, next year. So I I put it to you guys: uh, the Yankees, their top four, are they the best in baseball? And maybe to the point: does, is that really even matter?
1: Well, it matters in that it's funding a portion of a segment for us. So there's that. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of variables, and and how do we want to attack this? Uh, Anyone care to nominate the Astros as having a better top four? Uh, I'll tell you again, with the big variable, the best top four, if all four guys perform to reasonable expectations, given their career arcs and the skins they have on the wall, the answer is the San Diego Padres. If Tatis picks up where he left off before screwing up with his stupid motorcycle accident, and maybe he's going to show up at spring training five, 10, 155 pounds after his 80 game PED suspension. But with Juan Soto and Manny Machado and Xander Bogarts, that's the most accomplished all in there or building toward their primes, top four in any lineup in baseball. And before anyone falls off the couch or starts throwing stuff at the screen, uh, remember, it's your computer screen. Throw stuff at your own peril. Uh, the big variable with the Astros is Jeremy Pena, who we presume is going to bat second coming into the season since the Astros excelled. And if you're only as good as your last games, then Pena's a superstar. But look, in total, as a rookie, he was a very mediocre player, and he's the weak link of the Astros' top four and is not close, what he's done as a major leaguer, to any of those Padres. Uh, there are a handful of other lineups we could put in the mix. But specifically, get let's go after the Yankees. Giancarlo Stanton is coming off his worst season. Oh, by the way, he missed a number of games injured. Shocker. He's also 32 years old now, turning 33 during next season. Is he in the ascendant phase of his career? Are they expecting him to go back to 59 home run Giancarlo Marlin Stanton? Uh, DJ LeMahieu, injury-plagued season in which he wasn't that good when he was healthy. He's 34 years of age. Rizzo's very good. If Judge drops down a bit, he's still a super-duper star. I mean, he was way better than Jordan last season. I mean, think about it. His OPS was 92 points better than Jordan, and Jordan was a freaking beast. But one through four, when you factor in age, when you factor in enough recent performance, no, the Yankees don't have the top four in baseball. They might not have the top four top four in their own division. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays, George Springer, Bo Bichette. Vlad Guerrero, who dropped off sharply from his MVP season. But he's 24 years old. Better bet, Vlad Guerrero Jr. or Giancarlo Stanton to be great in 2023. And uh, the quarter ton of fun catcher, Alejandro Kirk, probably would be the number four Blue Jays' best offensive player with Teoscar, Teoscar Hernandez traded away. Um, so, hey, if you're a Yankee fan, you want to sell yourself on that. But capital I, capital, if, uh, capital F uh, attached is certainly Stanton. And I would say equally to LeMahieu, if you're arguing you have the best one, two, three, four in a lineup in Major League Baseball. Yeah. I mean, I went and looked back
2: at, at some of the numbers last year after they were touting this. And I know batting average isn't the sexy stat anymore, but I got some stuff on OPS. So hold on a second. But batting average, Stanton hit 211 last year. I mean, yeah, his OPS was 759, but that's not in the 800s. Rizzo, 224 batting average last year. Take Judge out of the equation. He had the best OPS out of these guys at 817. Maybe I'm changing the question a little bit, nod to Jack, Br- uh, Jack Braham for bringing this up, but what if we looked at four of the Astros hitters in a row starting at Yordan? So, you know, Yordan, Bregman, Tucker, and now Jose Abreu, we figured would be the guy. All those guys had an OPS over 800, and they weren't hitting 220. You know, the lowest one out of those guys was like 257, and that was Kyle Tucker. So if we're looking for well-rounded, it's the Astros. It's not even close. And I didn't even mention Altuve, whose OPS was over 900, and he hit 300 for the year. So, you know, if I slightly change the question,
1: I don't think it's that close. if it's who has the best core four, then the Astros certainly, I was going to say vault past the Yankees, but they may still be ahead of the Yankees, counting Pena in the two spot. If it's your best four players, then the Astros are right there with San Diego. Uh, Kirk, uh, tremendous as a young catcher. What he gives you offensively as a catcher is a huge bonus and makes him that much more valuable at that position. But strictly as an offensive player, He's not a 900 OPS type guy. There are a couple of other teams we could certainly include. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, if Ronald Acuna Jr. had his build back year from his ACL tear, and you, you factor in Michael Harris Jr., the rookie of the year, and uh, Austin Riley, and who am I forgetting as the Braves fourth in there? Uh, Matt Olson. Um, you know, They're all 800, 900 capable guys. Uh, but especially when you throw in age, uh, Stanton and his brittleness, LeMahieu with his age, and his drop-off in performance, it's January. You want to build up the best-case scenario for your team. It's just that some fan bases are more apt to venture toward fantasy land than, than reality. Well, I think
0: when you talk about reality, you look at uh, what Forbes says. Forbes says New York Yankees need more offense to close the gap with the Astros. And kind of to that point is what, what Jack said, and, and to your point that you added on that is if you just say uh, three, four, five, six for the Astros are better than the Yankees one through four, that's taking Jose Altuve, who are the third best OPS in the AL out of the equation. That's also not counting uh, Jose Abreu, who's been added to the lineup, who probably bats six. That's also not counting Michael Brantley, who in our likelihood uh, will be batting in the seventh hole. But there is a question about that. And that is, uh, you know, you mentioned it, Charlie, and that is that Jeremy Pena is going to be in that that two-hole in all likelihood. Will we see that? We see that, you know, analytics say that your best hitters should get the most repetitions. They get stacked towards the top of the lineup. Michael Brantley is, without a doubt, going to be one of your best hitters. But there is a question about if Pena doesn't have the protection that he does at the top of the lineup, and when he's in that two-spot and he's hitting ahead of Yordan, or is it a balancing act you're playing between trying to protect Pena while also maybe not premiering Michael Brantley as much as you
1: could? Yeah, protection can be overrated. But in the case of Jeremy Pena, a young, very free swinging uh, a guy in the batter's box, right? If Jerry, Jeremy Pena is to ascend into full blown star as opposed to postseason superstar, who of those are the greatest three weeks of his career. That's just fine. He can still be a a heck of a player. But he's going to have to be more disciplined at the plate. Uh, He walked roughly once per week. His on-base percentage was right about 300. That's poor. And for a guy batting second, that guy will come to the plate about 90 more times during the course of the season than the seventh spot in the lineup. That's a substantial and meaningful difference. Uh, So Payne is absolutely, I think, absolutely going to get the first crack. Uh, The way he excelled down the stretch, the postseason performance, Dusty loves him there. The team record when Pena was batting second, the speed element added to the top of the lineup with a chance to maybe run a little bit more with the larger bases and the rules against pitchers working to hold runners close. Um, Usually you hear, well, it takes 150 plate appearances into a season before you pass judgment on, on how a guy is really doing. So that's more than a month of the season. So if Jeremy Pena starts three for 22, I don't think there should be a a big clamor to, hey, drop him way down there and get Brantley up if Brantley's ready to start the season and and swing the bat well. Uh, But there would be a ticking clock on it because Pena is etched in Astros lore forever with an October into November performance of of legend, at least local legend, Uh, (laughs) but baseball legend. Um, But... Like those brokerage ads, past performance is no guarantee of future results. But that does not automatically portend Jeremy Pena turning into young Robin Yount, uh, just an all-around awesome shortstop who's going to make the leap from, like, say, uh, Chris Bryant did with the Cubs, like Cal Ripken did with the Orioles. You can Google those young guys. Um, (laughs) Rookie of the year, one year, which Pena obviously was not, but rookie of the year, and then they leap to MVP the, the very next season um Jeremy Payne is just darn good that's fine for the Astros but night not might not mean that he's best suited to hit in the two hole but he deserves the opportunity going in
2: yeah I, I agree I I was pushing for him hitting the second spot last year I, I I wanted somebody that could do damage to fastballs hitting in that spot when they had Yuli in there I get it it was helping Yuli a little bit but Pena is a guy that's going to hit over 20 home runs a season. He can really take advantage of that Crawford box. He can really take advantage of getting some fastballs. He may not get batting, you know, in the seven spot where they may pitch around him a little bit. And he's chasing sliders outside like he was at the beginning of the year. I'm just I'm not tinkering with it, you know, and back to just quickly with the conversation about the Yankees. How about postseason experience? I didn't bring that up. You know how the Astros hit in the postseason compared to Judge and some of the Yankees guys. It's not even close. But yeah, with with Brantley, he's a guy that can get on base without protection. He's got a good eye, but he's not his days of hitting a bunch of home runs. I mean, he was never really that guy. But at this late in his career, he's really not that guy. I want somebody with some power that can do some damage. But, you know, Charlie makes sense. If if he really, really struggles, uh, then then we'll deal with that if, if and when that happens
0: you only have a player by the name of Michael Brantley that can swap places with him and you can put in that two-hole. And, you know, we look at the fact that the shift goes away, so Brantley may have an even better season hitting-wise. I just think that there is... A lot of reasons to, especially when we go back to the conversation about the Yankees lineup versus the Astros lineup. It is about consistency and it is about being able to optimize guys for position because you said it, Charlie, Pena's not going to draw walks, he's up there to free swing. Michael Brantley can draw a walk. He's going to spit on pitches that are not in the zone. And that's what you want is you want guys that are going to be, you know, be able to get on base and you considering who's on in front of him or who's up in front of him. There's a high likelihood that he will see some pitches uh, because guys can't walk Michael Brantley because they've got guys on base. So I, I really do like the Astros depth of their lineup. And I think that really is the story. I think trying to, Uh, Talk about the Yankees and their one through four, you know, the top of the line. It's just a a fun way of repositioning an uncomfortable conversation from a New York perspective, because the truth is, is they still haven't bridged that gap yet. And I, I will tell you this, too, is that the the Phillies were pretty top heavy, too. And then after Bryce Harper. Uh, would go sit down, you didn't feel nearly as threatened with the rest of that lineup. So I just think the top heavy conversation, who cares? You know, it, it, to Josh's point, that, that's the most important point is it is about who performs in the postseason. And to this point, historically, um, judging the gang really haven't. Charlie, one of the things you mentioned up, we're talking about Brantley in this, in this conversation. Uh, one of the things about Brantley, he still hasn't swung a bat yet, which I think is, is an interesting juxtaposition. Just because here we have Correa, and we're talking about you know Correa's medicals, and he played last year, and in all intents and purposes is capable of playing. He still doesn't have a deal. Michael Brantley uh, can't swing a bat yet, and he has a deal. Obviously, it's the the years and the money that are are the difference there. But Brantley's, we don't know whether he's going to be ready when. Uh, Opening day gets here. Even if he is, most likely they will be uh, load managing him as well as load managing Yordan. Uh, Yordan's going to be playing some left field. So Brantley probably won't be playing every day. It's high likelihood of that they will be load managing him. Uh, so that, I think, means there's going to be some opportunities at the DH spot. And last uh, last week, John Granado and Josh talked about this exact thing. There's a couple of candidates who seem like they are uh, prime to get some DH spot uh, opportunities. Um, One could be Yuli Gurriel should he be brought back. But as the guys talked about, Yuli may not want to be in a utility role. He may see that as a demotion, whereas a guy like maybe Janer Diaz uh, would see that as an opportunity. So I'll throw it to you guys Who do we see get some of these reps at DH where they might need them this season?
1: Well, with respect to Yuli and what he accomplished over his tenure with the Astros, beggars can't be choosers. I mean, suitors haven't exactly been lining up to give him everyday playing time. He's 38 years old. He was terrible last season. He wants to stay in the major leagues. He kind of needs to go where there's work to be found. Uh, I just don't think at this point he makes sense uh, for the Astros uh, he can't play shortstop, functionally can't play shortstop. You could stick him there in a pinch, um, and he played a little bit of emergency second base. Obviously, his pedigrees as a third baseman, first base, the glove work was still good. Uh, I just think you want a little more versatility, including someone who can play a little shortstop, which brings the name David Hensley. Doesn't look the part. Six six, buck ninety, buck ninety five. His minor league pedigrees actually kind of eh. But he did have a real strong season with the Space Cowboys. And granted, we're talking 29 at-bats. But showed well with the Astros with the notable skill, put bat on ball, which fits the Astros' profile. Only the Guardians made more contact. Of course, Gurriel still put the bat on the ball. It's just when he did, not much good happened uh, last season. Uh, So I think Hensley stands to get the opportunity when you look at the roster construct now. Just think of the World Series. Uh, Hensley didn't have to show much. It's more that Trey Mancini was a lost soul and Aledmus Diaz was almost envious of Trey Mancini's soul. Uh, so mm-hmm. Hensley got a, a couple of opportunities in the postseason. Uh, but you look at what else, um, I'm definitely on the, the Yiner Diaz bandwagon to get a shot as the backup catcher can play a little first base. And DH, he has the best offensive minor league background uh, of anyone you consider as a candidate. I mean, Maurice Dubon is strictly for Dusty's defense in center field occasionally, and Dusty even got away from that uh, in, the, in, the, in the World Series, but he's under Astros' control as an arbitration-eligible guy. Uh, so, I mean, especially if Brantley's not going to answer the bell, who else besides Hensley, unless there's a, a late addition? I have to say, other than it was a, an odd name, I can't even tell you the name of the guy they uh, acquired from the Tigers is a warm spring training body.
0: Bly Madras. Yes. Uh,
1: there <laughs> you
2: go.
1: <laughs> <Correct>. Madras Bly. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his, he can... if his family's listening, it's not personal, but it really doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. You got to think he's a, a, a defensive type player if he does
2: get any playing, to- like a Dubon type role, but you know, back to the question, I think Hensley's the guy Dusty clearly trusts the most out of these guys because he was on the playoff roster. He was getting at bats, you know, when we weren't seeing anything from Diaz and the other DH spots. So Hensley's a guy that can play in multiple positions. I think he'll get a shot. But yeah, Jayner Diaz is exciting, man. He's got some pop and and brand new brought up. It was the Baseball America rankings, right? Didn't they have him second on the Astros uh, right behind Hunter Brown as the top prospect for Baseball America? So the pedigree looks really good for him. I like that he has some pop, that he can play some different positions. So, look, I'm a fan of Yuli Gurriel. I'd love to see him come back. But I understand he, he just may not have it anymore, Charlie. We know he, he didn't have a very good year last year outside of the postseason. I would like to see it. I'm a fan of his. I'm a fan of the Astros. But if it's not him, then uh, roll the dice with Hensley and Diaz and You could have a lot worse options. These guys could really pan out. I mean, Hensley was a very limited amount of time, but the OPS was over a 1,000. So, you know, he's a guy that did it in a short sample size on the big league level last year.
1: Are they going to carry Dubon and Jake Myers? Uh, I don't think they should be inking in Chaz McCormick to be the everyday center fielder. Uh, He clobbered left-handed pitching and got clobbered by right-handed pitching, right? Somehow they could fast-forward Drew Gilbert, fix that elbow, And as a first-round pick, a college guy should get to the Major League sooner than later, but it's not going to be this soon. A left-handed hitting center field option who would be a a nice guy to round out their roster. His day won't be coming, though, in 2023 unless he just destroys the minor leagues and is a complete revelation.
2: Real quick here, Brandon, if I could jump in. I'm curious, Charlie, what are the odds do you think Jake Myers kind of turns into that guy that – Uh, click kind of hope that he would be just you know good serviceable kind of who we saw from him before he got hurt in that White Sox series in the playoffs do you think he can return
1: to that form I wish he was a left-handed hitter because he's clearly behind McCormick now uh, on the totem pole and I just really don't see where the opportunity comes other than maybe if they just are going to go with Diaz uh, I don't think Hensley automatically gets all the DH at bats. If, if Brantley's not ready till say May 15th, uh, maybe that's an avenue for Myers to play some in addition to spelling McCormick uh, in center field. Um, you know, he kind of, as he needed to rehabilitate from the shoulder needs to rehabilitate his, his stock within the Astros. Cause I think he's been left behind a little bit. Uh, let me just throw one other name in there who would offer that positional versatility. I think you seek out about at least a couple of your bench guys, Pedro Leon tears it up in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't really cut it as a shortstop when the Astros experimented with that a couple of years ago, but as an emergency shortstop, you evidently could stick him in there. Uh, some second base work might be a possibility for him, but certainly as an outfielder, um, probably has the best throwing arm in the organization, has some speed, the hit tools, the, the big question with him. But since the Astros spent $4 million to sign him, he's 24 years old now. Um, if he's going to make a push to be an everyday player at some point, well, it has to be center field left and right are pretty well spoken for, for a while. Um, so maybe he can thrust himself into the conversation, uh, down in Palm beach gardens.
0: Josh, you brought it up the Astros, um, in kind of where they went rank in the, uh, baseball America within their organization, their top 10 looks like Hunter Brown at one, uh, Jayner Diaz at two. Um, we have, uh, Drew Gilbert at three. Uh, Jacob Melton four, David Hensley five, Pedro Leon six, Corey Lee seven, Spencer Arrigatti at eight, uh, Justin Durden in nine, and Miguel Ulola at ten. Apology if I didn't pronounce Miguel Ulola's name correctly. Um, so, what I think is exciting about this is that there are still there's opportunities as, as stacked as this team is, and coming off of a World Series and in coming off a championship year in which you really brought. Almost everybody back, with the exception of a few spots. Uh speaks to kind of how well the Astros performed in the postseason. The fact that these are still spots that need filling. The, the DH spot was Mancini and, and Diaz is Diaz. They shared time there. Really, you really got nothing out of those two guys. So there's still some opportunities on this team to be filled, and you have some guys here like. Like we've talked about Hensley, uh, Jeyner-Diaz, where there are, there is opportunity here. Who are you guys looking at uh, for breakout rookie
1: this season? I think it largely begins and ends with Hunter Brown. Subject to how much opportunity does he get? Uh, the Astros play the first seven days of the season before an off day. Might they consider going six starters the first spin through and Hunter Brown can try to stake out his territory from the go or is he going to be the swing guy in the bullpen the role jake go to remember him was cast in going into uh, last season but hunter brown's their their number one prospect on the merits and you know, david hensley's 27 years old so it's not like he's some young rising phenom uh so to me it's all about hunter brown who flashed so strongly in the limited opportunities that he got whether it's McCullers' latest injury, whenever that comes, someone else goes down or there's some fall-off in performance, or Hunter Brown's just so damn good that he slingshots past one of them. Uh, he, to me, is their unquestioned highest-side uh, first-year player uh, this year.
2: Yeah, I think it's probably him and then everybody else in a tier below. I think it's interesting for us, Whitley, not even on that list. I guess we've just kind of that, – that boat has sailed, I guess, with Whitley um it's interesting max pitt just brought up for whitley right there in the comments it, that just goes to show you it's it just feels like it's never going to happen with him but a lot of the other guys in that top five are rookies that were just drafted you know when the astros finally got their picks back after the the penalties, so those guys are probably still another year or two away so probably page early on if i'm going to pick one of the uh, offensive players i'd like to see what he can do in spring training see if uh You know, he can add that pop and speed element to the outfield. I think that'll be fun to see.
1: Look, it's okay that they don't have prospects pounding on the door because the big league team is fantastic. But over the last six years, they're the best. And they're not going to fall off a cliff in the next year or two, or if it happens, it would be wholly unexpected. So uh, lost first and second round picks back-to-back years, as uh, Josh alluded to. And when you're picking, it's late in the first round and all subsequent rounds uh, after that. Now, going forward, you want some cheap, young talent to blend out a roster. You know, what are they going to need first? Uh, A full-time next second baseman post-Altuve or a full-time third baseman post-Alex Bregman? Altuve as an age issue. Bregman's three years away from possibly becoming a free agent uh, at 30. But those are all down-the-line issues So that the Astros' farm system is in the bottom third of Major League Baseball, it's not a problem. You know, when you're the Angels and you're never contending and your farm system's still in the bottom half of Major League Baseball, that's a problem. So uh, first world problems, whatever you want to call them for the Astros, that they don't have any prospects offensively who rank in the top 50 uh, of the minor leagues. Well, if that's part of the cost of winning two World Series in six years and going to the ALCS six years in a row, uh, I think everyone would make that trade
2: and they seem to always be underrated you know the, these these sites that rank the Astros farm system all these Jeremy Peñas show up and Christian Javier's and Luis Garcia's they weren't highly touted guys but the Astros just keep cranking these guys out of the farm system
0: no, and Jordan Alvarez wasn't on anyone's yeah. radar in the minors either. And granted, that may just be because of limited exposure, but the Dodgers didn't even know they had him on their roster when the Astros come and confused him for another Jordan Alvarez. I we need to do a where is he now? I want to know where the other Yordon's at. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, that you're right. And and I'd say this like Hunter Brown's an obvious answer because uh, you know, we we got to see him the most last year, but I would argue that he has a little bit of runway to develop because that roster, especially the starting rotation is so stacked. So, I mean, you look at him right now, I think on a lot of teams, he'd be, you know, looking at a a four or five spot, whereas, he's not going to crack the rotation because of, of the depth, uh, and, you know, knock on wood. And, and obviously that depends a lot on, on the health and performance. Of a lot of the guys and whether Christian Javier can take that step, uh, this, this season and be a, a full-time starter, uh, whether Lance McCullers Jr. Can stay healthy for an entire season, which you know, is, is a big question mark as well. But a guy like Hunter Brown is going to have a little bit of runway to be able to get it together. Whereas uh, in, in, I think Pedro Leon to, to your point, Josh, is very interesting too because that's going to be a position that's going to be really important once contracts like uh, you know, once once they stop renewing guys like Brantley and and you know whether or not they keep Tucker or not. Like that's going to be a really important question is whether Pedro Leon as develops as a full time outfielder. I'd say personally, I'm I'm very interested to see how they use Jayner Diaz.
1: Whether it's Diaz or Corey Lee, one of those two guys absolutely has to get enough playing time in 2023 for you to have your mind clear on, is he your primary catcher in 2024? Yep. Yeah, maybe Molly keeps on keeping on and they extend him for yet another single year, but he turns 37 and pages turn, right? Yuli Guriel and, and more substantially, Carlos Correa, George Springer. Uh, so uh, their next full-time catcher presumably is on campus. I'd want to be giving him some run this year.
0: While I can still connect to the internet, let's get to our bottom line uh, question of the week uh, this week. And uh, this is based on uh, Caesar Sportsbook. They released their uh, lines for league MVP for the 2023 MLB season. And um, the, the list was interesting. I wanted to ask you guys, outside of Jordan Alvarez cuz that's an easy one. Outside of Jordan Alvarez, which Astros player do you guys think have a has a legit shot at the AL MVP this season?
1: Uh I would fire my dart Alex Bregman's way. Uh Altuve surged brilliantly the last two months at 340 plus August and September to get that batting average right to 300 his first 300 season in 2018. So that was significant in that if Altuve was in batting average decline, he seemed to have halted that. Um, But Bregman's 28. After two and a half years of being merely pretty good, Bregman refound himself the last couple of months or after the all-star break last season and and performed at, at near the level when in 2018 he was a monster. In 2019 he was a bigger monster and, and runner-up to Mike Trout for, for MVP. So I just think that he is more in the heart of his prime. Uh, I wouldn't rule out uh, Kyle Tucker, but he'll need to pick it up significantly offensively. Kyle Tucker dropped about 100 points in OPS from 2021 to 2022. Uh, so I'll go Alex Bregman uh, again uh, with your uh, proviso, Brandon, that we're leaving Jordan in his own category on this one. Yeah, Jordan is sixth for in the al right now for best odds
2: and i believe bregman is at 13 and kyle tucker's at 14 but i believe the odds are the same for both of those guys that's just they how they have them ordered what's interesting is way lower on the list is jeremy pena and altuve and pena has just as good odds as altuve which is pretty amazing to think about that, that that would be the case you know unless he takes off from what he did in the playoffs that's pretty hard to believe, but I'll go with Kyle Tucker. I think uh, the shift going away is going to give him some extra hits this year. Uh, he just keeps getting better, man. And the pop, you know, 30 home runs, hundred RBIs. The, those are the the numbers that get you MVP consideration. He'll steal you some bases, win a gold glove for you in right field. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take Kyle Tucker.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go Alex Bregman on this as well. And that's just on a hope that who, we saw in the second half of last season and into the post season is going to be the same guy that we get back for a full season uh, in 2023. I think Bregman uh, really can return to that MVP form. It seems like he has learned to operate and hit in this new body of his. And that's a body that's a little older and maybe the, the base is a little different from what it was when he first entered the league, but he really seems to have been able to put all the tools together. Seems really comfortable, really seeing the ball well. He's always a guy who sees the ball well, but it just seemed like he, you know, the first half of last season, he just really couldn't do anything with that ball once he saw it. Because we, his OPS was always there. He, he was he was still able to, or I should say, his on base percentage was always there even when he couldn't hit and, and his power looked like it had gone, he was still drawing walks. And I think that's just makes him so deadly is he's such a selective hitter. And then if you make a mistake, he can't punish you. Whether for Whether he got
1: pull happy or, or whatever got into his mechanics. And sometimes you can know what you're doing, but bad habits can be hard ones to break. Uh, he just got to where he was pulling off the ball on, on a regular basis and, and whatever timing mechanism or drilling, Vulcan mind meld, whatever it took uh, for Alex Bregman to get back to being 2018, 2019 Alex Bregman, it kicked in the second half of of last season. Uh, and he's a proud guy. I'll say the good part of ego, right, Alex Bregman, and with an eye to a killer contract uh, somewhere within the next three years, be it an extension with the Astros or hitting the market at age 30. Uh, Alex Bregman was carving out an early Hall of Fame path with what he achieved through 2018, 2019, He fell off that path in 2020, short season, but he wasn't very good. 2021, he wasn't very good. He was all right, still had value, but he was no longer an elite third baseman. Well, the second half of last season, he reclaimed that. He performed at the level of Machado, uh, Endeavors, and uh, what Austin Riley is now with the Braves, Jose Ramirez with the Guardians. Uh, So Bregman at just 28, if he is back on that right beam and going to stay there for the next few years, well, there can be a a Cooperstown convo about him uh, years down the line. And I don't know how specifically cognizant he is of that. Uh, But if you're hoping for a 10-year contract for, who knows, three years from now, $400 million when you're 30 years of age, Alex Bregman needs to string together two, three huge seasons and Obviously, with what he demonstrated in 18 and 19 and over the last two, three months last season, it's in him. I'm going to read some of these
0: uh, comments here from our uh, chatters, and uh, they've given their votes here. Cooper Media, not sure if that's Kevin Cooper or not. Cooper Media says Tucker or Pena. That's his vote. And then uh, we've got a vote for Dusty Baker. That's funny. Um, he's got the
2: gloves, so
0: he's ready to do it. He does. Boom Doggy says Bregman. As well, Glenn says Abreu should get some run. Um, that that's actually not a bad thought because Abreu has received uh, some top ten votes. Or, or excuse me, they They're not past Yeah, 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 he yeah won. Exactly. Uh, Max Pitt says uh, Bregman may be a dark horse.
2: And by the um, way, on Map Houston right now, our guy Andy wrote a piece on you know the, these odds and who would be the most likely Astro to win it. He dives into Jordán Alvarez as well. So if you want to check that out, SportsMapHouston.com.
0: And that is our Stone Cold Stroh's bottom line question of the week. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. Sorry, I, I just couldn't resist. Uh,
1: five weeks. I, <laughs> I have, have. You, come save you know. shotgunning the beer though, right? <laughs> That'll be the holiday display. So yeah, that's when
2: the season starts. That's it. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> well, if you're if you're like John and you're listening to us in Germany, or if you're like the majority of our audience who is by all accounts – in the Texas, greater Texas area, please make sure you hit like on this video. Please subscribe to the Sports Map Houston channel. If you like getting your podcasts on audio form, if you could find it in your heart, give us a five-star rating. We do appreciate it. You know, if you feel that way, should you feel so inclined? If not, you know, then don't don't leave us here.
2: (laughs) Make it up every Monday, guys, three o'clock every Monday. So set your watch. That's when we're going to do this. That's when you can act, interact with us live in the chats. But if the timing doesn't work out or you like listening to podcasts while you're at the gym, do like Brandon said. Go to Apple Music or wherever you get your, your podcast from. If you're on TikTok, follow us there. If you're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we have
0: little clips from uh, these and all of our Sports map Houston videos that are there. Make sure you go to SportsMapHouston.com to read Charlie. Charlie writes for us once a week uh, and does uh, a great job. Usually it's Astrocentric. Uh, so go read that. We have weekly columns from uh, Ken, former Houston Chronicle writer Ken Hoffman. He's on sportsmaphouston.com. Josh writes stuff weekly. I don't, but I'm uh, producing uh, the videos for us during throughout the week. So we we do nothing but Houston stuff. We're not we don't talk about anything else. Uh, guys, we really do appreciate the support. Charlie, Josh, appreciate uh, you on the show this week. We will be back here next Monday, 3 p.m. for Stone Cold Strohs Episode 6. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Go Strohs!